Hello and welcome to the Sprint Podcast. The Sprint Podcast is a meeting place for all things agile and product related. In each episode, we'll talk to some of the most knowledgeable people from the space and pick their brains on what is happening out there in the world of product and agile. Today we've got Heinrich Wenske on the show, who's the head of product at Banksa, a financial technology platform leading the global Web3 on and off ramp solutions. Now, Heinrich, you started your career as an accountant, then you worked at Queensland Rural and Industry Development Authority for the last, uh, for about four years. Then you worked in the fintech startups Eon X and afterwards Chipin, and now you're the head of product at Banksa. Now, I've given a very rough picture here because I think it's best if I just ask you myself. So how did you get into product? Hello, yeah, sure. It's been, it's been an interesting journey for me. Uh, I started off in accounting. I've, I've always been a fairly numbers-orientated person, so it just came easy to me. Um, and I enjoyed it. Um, I guess accounting, uh, I wasn't that inspired working on things that happened 11 months ago. Uh, wasn't on the forefront of the decision-making of, of a business. So uh, yeah, I made the shift to, to more of the finance space, worked as an analyst you know, in agricultural lending and grants, which is a, is a really interesting space working in agriculture, actually. It's, it's got a, a very high variability in terms of the business risk more so than any other industries there's a lot more factors that you have to take into account um, environmental in terms of like drought and such that's right Roads. you know yeah. you're trying to trying to forecast the revenue and expenses for an agricultural business is is so much more impossible than any other industry it's you know it's very non-standardized mm. uh the the risk can change depending on you know the soil type and the types of vegetation you have on a particular property and where it's based and the rainfall patterns and all that so um very interesting um really good for me to learn a wide sort of array of different businesses and, and the lending practices in that space um i, I invariably ended up getting sort of involved in the IT as, as that organization started digitizing and creating online portals for loans and grants. Um, I was then invited to be the product owner for rebuilding the, the whole loan administration platform uh, from scratch. It was a big, big leg, legacy system uh, that had to be restarted. So that, that was my formal introduction into IT. Um, I remember when they asked me to become the product owner for that. Um, my first response was yes, I'll do it, and my second response was, "What's a product owner?" <laughs> so, um, so for me, really, I, I came into it pretty green. Um, I sort of always had a you know, passion for working in in the the computer space, but didn't have any formal knowledge of that space at all or, or agile. So, did some agile training courses um, and just dived into it and started rebuilding that sp- uh, that whole system. Um, amazing learning experience for me. Um, and then, yeah, as you mentioned, I moved to EonX where I worked as a payments product manager, building some multi-tenanted sort of SaaS products for B2Bs, um, all involving payments and loyalty. Um, that was an amazing experience to build uh, a lot of products from scratch, um, learning how to work um, in sort of a multi-tenanted API-driven structure for building tech products. Um, I learned a lot about APIs. Um, sort of got really into designing those APIs and, and sort of really enjoyed that more technical space, even though for me that was just a huge learning curve because I didn't know, I didn't even know what an API request was kind of as I started out. So, um, yeah, really enjoyed that space. Um, and so I've since moved on to Banksa. So um, I started out there in the payment space and, and you know, being a, being a startup in the wild uh, blockchain and crypto industry, um, We've changed directions multiple times and uh, I moved around within the company a lot. Um, so, yeah, now I'm, I'm head of product at Banksa, 
uh, immensely enjoying it and uh, yeah, working on some really cool technologies and being on that, that leading, bleeding edge of innovation is, is something that gets me out of bed. Uh, sort of my motivation is uh, working on problems that you can't Google. <laughs> nice one. That's good. That's a good mission statement. Okay. So I guess we'll kind of get a little bit more to fintech and product management a little bit later on, but I guess, you know, now that you're the head of product at Banksa, maybe, you know, what is Banksa and what products have you been working on there? Yeah. So Banksa in essence is a checkout for switching fiat currency to cryptocurrency and vice versa. And so uh, we're actually mostly a B2B2C business. So uh, a lot of our customers come to us, they're referred to us from other businesses. Um, so these could be cryptocurrency exchanges. It could be wallets like MetaMask, for example. And so if, if any of their customers uh, want to buy cryptocurrency and pay with fiat, they direct those customers to us. Um, we then uh, onboard the customer. We do KYC for the customer. Um, we will take the fiat payment for that customer and then uh, issue the cryptocurrency to their wallet. Um, and so obviously uh, there's a challenge in terms of KYC. The regulation is different in different countries. We operate globally. So there's a lot of complexity in there um, trying to stay compliant. And so uh, there's a lot of challenges in that space. Uh, then also in the payment space, we offer local payment methods in many local currencies in, in different geolocations. So we're always trying to onboard new payment methods uh, for these customers to do their transactions. You know, it could be you could pay with credit card or Apple Pay um, for buying your crypto. But, uh, you know, obviously a, a local bank transfer method, uh, for example, Pay ID in Australia or, or ACH payment in uh, the US is, is a lot cheaper and often faster as well. Um, so yeah, we specialize in, in sort of ex expanding into those regions and, and offering local payments in those countries. Uh, and then on the crypto side as well, which is sort of the space I, I spend most of my time in, um, we actually have to source the liquidity for all these, uh, different assets, list new coins, list coins on different blockchains. We then have to sort of orchestrate all the liquidity for that to source it. Um, and there's regulatory issues there as well in terms of doing it compliantly in certain countries um to issue that crypto to the customers so yeah but banks are it's uh you know banks have started i think it was back in 2014 you know originally um they sort of started just as, as bitcoin mining and then started uh, a checkout for selling bitcoin in australia and um they just filled a big gap in the market there for switching fiat to crypto and so um banks has expanded uh, dramatically uh since back then and now offer uh, you know over 100 types of digital assets uh globally and so, uh, yeah, recently we've been working on, uh, we've been, we've built a whole new API for, um, for getting MetaMask on board, which is, uh, obviously a really big customer in the Web3 space. They're probably the, yep. the leading Web3 wallet. Um, so yeah, it's been really exciting. And then we're building uh, a bunch of new projects and building, uh, working with some really big partners and, uh, continuing to innovate in the space today. Nice one. Um, so I guess this theme of regulation and compliance came up a lot. Do you think that's kind of central to your experience as a product manager, um, these, I, mean, I guess, walls you're coming up against a lot? Yeah, look, I, I think in the cryptocurrency space, it's probably more pronounced than usual. Um, I, you know, s s compliance and, and regulation uh, is always a, uh, I guess you would call it a, a key stakeholder when it comes to product management. And it's always uh, something where you have to engage actively and make sure that you know what you're doing. It's always best practice to be uh, proactive um, whenever you're thinking of new features or new solutions to 
you know, talk to the members in your organization that, that deals in that space and keep them in the loop early. Um, if they know what you're building, then they can work together with you as opposed to just being the big bad wolf that sort of tries to put the kibosh on everything. So uh, I think in, in crypto, it's just more important in a way because the regulation is so unclear at this point in time. It's still early in the industry. Um, there isn't a best way to regulate crypto yet. And so you find that many governments are kind of exploring ways of regulating cryptocurrency and blockchains, and, and they're all coming up with different ways of doing it. Based on what you said there about, you know, there not being so much regulation or, or governments not understanding necessarily how to regulate crypto, does that make things easier or more difficult for you? Yeah, no, it makes it more difficult because you're, you're sort of wading in uncharted waters and, and you don't know you know, there's a there's a probably a lot more judgment calls that you'd like to make um, in that space, um, and so you you kind of just have to back your instincts uh, at times. Mm. Um, and the space is evolving very quickly, so you know you have to be on the front foot um, in this space. You have to be very uh, aware of what's happening. You have to respond very quickly, uh, and then obviously, you know, it's the the governments are kind of actively pursuing this space right now, and you sort of it, sometimes it feels like there's a target on your back. So. Um, yeah, I, I think um, having said all that, it is important that as an industry, we do sort of try and work together and, and try and work with uh, the regulators that's trying to do this because at the end of the day, they, they know less about the industry than what you do. Mm. Um, and, and it's new for everyone. So, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of ignorance and a lot of the regulation and policies coming out. You, you can tell that they clearly don't understand much about the industry yeah, and how yeah. things actually work. Um, so, you know, it's, you can criticize that, but it, it is what it is. And I think you just have to try and work together and, and try and mature the industry over time. So um, I think that's that, the right, that's the right mindset. It, it, what you're saying almost kind of mirrors to some extent what the buy now, pay later sector was saying a couple of years ago, you know, whereby they were not sure how they were going to be regulated and so on. And I suppose that's becoming clearer for them. There's a slightly more mature sort of industry now. Yeah, and, and look, and we're having the same discussion already about the whole explosion around AI happening now. And yeah, right. already, there's, there's already, you know, pretty big players in the space making calls saying, you know, let's get on the front foot and start talking to the governments in terms of how we regulate this now. You know, you could be cynical and say that they're trying to just get it, you know, regulated for their own self-interest so that they can be uh, in front of the curve. But the governments, uh, they'll tend to over-regulate an industry. So Every, Everything you said there was really interesting anyway and makes perfect sense. Have you got a, a sort of idea as to what's coming next in your industry, in your sector, or is that very uncertain and unclear? Look, I, I'd be, uh, I, I wouldn't be going to make too many predictions in this space. Um, I think <laughs> we've We've seen we've things seen things change in, in many directions um, over the years, um, and, and a lot of unpredictable events uh, have happened, and I'm sure will continue to happen. And so, yeah, it's really hard to sort of pick a winner. Um, what we're seeing yeah. is is a lot of exciting innovations in a lot of different directions happening, and so um, I don't really think there's any any value in trying to say, you know, this is going to be the next big thing. I think as a company, you you do have to make the choice as to whether you want to be the one that's on that bleeding edge and trying to create that innovation or whether you sort of sit back and go, okay, well, based on what I'm seeing, I, I sort of think these are the winners and, and I'm going to go all in on a few of them and try and make something that's better. 
and what's already out there. And, you know, at Banksa, we sort of, we do a little bit of both in that space. Um, so we, we, we do sort of try and uh, emulate some of the features that we see coming out and then we try and you know, make them better. Um, but then also we do work in that bleeding edge space where we try and identify what's going to be the, the, the thing that really revolutionizes, you know, for example, the, how settlements work in cryptocurrency on blockchains. Uh, and then we sort of aim to build some new products in that space. Makes sense. If you don't mind, I might I might swerve you away now and over into the, the kind of agile side of this conversation. Just purely, and we mentioned it earlier, I think maybe before we started recording, keen to to understand your journey through that because again, you've got a what I would say is a relatively non-traditional sort of trajectory for your career to, that's landed you in this product role in a sort of a, an emerging sector. What's been your experience and exposure to agile throughout that? Yeah, so I mean, as I mentioned, I, I sort of when I started my first role as a product owner, uh, that's when I took my first call course in uh, yeah. in Agile. And look, I, I think I really enjoyed the the principles of Agile. For me, they made a lot of sense. Um, I've since taken quite a few courses uh, in Agile, and uh, you know, I've really tried to to sharpen my my skills in that space. Um, I actually did a uh, I did a master's in information technology management um and nice. i actually specialize in agile project management in that so for my capstone uh subject uh at the university of new england I, I actually ended up doing my thesis on how agile scales um as a company becomes bigger and more bureaucratic um oh, nice. so so yeah I've, I've actually ended up spending a lot of time doing research in the space uh look if we want to sort of go back into the theory of management in history, uh, you know, started in the, you know the very early 1900s as a consequence of the Industrial Revolution, and you sort of you know you had the Frederick Winslow Taylors come up with a, a really scientific way of doing management, and you know through the 1900s there was a lot of you know there was some iterations and some changes to to management theory in that time, but in essence, uh, management as a as a discipline was very scientific uh, in terms mm. of looking at resources, trying to get outputs, trying to trying to extrapolate those outputs and then creating efficiencies from there. And so I think, you know, my view is that when software development came around and started becoming a profession really in the really in the 90s in terms of big companies starting to deploy lots of software developers, I think it, you know, it would have become really clear that that scientific management style just didn't work. Mm. Um, D development is notoriously very difficult to estimate. Um, you know, in, in a manufacturing space, you can have two employees that one's brilliant and one's terrible, and they're probably 20% apart. Um, in software development, um, that might be, one might be 10 times better than the other. Um, and just the way that, you know, software is a bit of an art form. And so trying to estimate software is just, is notoriously difficult and as the space of innovation uh, the you know the the rate of change of innovation has obviously gone on a exponential curve sure. uh, for the last 20 years and so trying to stay in front trying to um, be able to change direction quickly and you know couple that with the the unreliability of trying to estimate uh, resourcing and output um, you know a new a new system of management had to be developed and so i i see agile as kind of the the one that developed that new system and sort yep. of won, won that battle. There was a few kind of competitors in that space, but Agile really in the software space won that battle for becoming the new template for managing 
software teams. What I sort of found in my research is that as organizations continue to scale and as software became more embedded in really large companies, I think there is a scaling point where agile stops working in bureaucracies. And so the thesis that I ended up writing is that once once you become bureaucratic to, to, to a point where you have to start uh, really including stakeholders outside of your team a lot more, mm-hmm. um, the principles of agile, uh, the core principles starts kind of falling over a little bit, you know, the, the individuals and interactions over, you know, over processes and working software over comprehensive documentation, all those core principles of Agile, they, they really start falling over when a company starts getting really big. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I think it's been an interesting space in the last decade or so when we've now got companies that are really big. Um, and, and those Agile, you know, Agile's been created for really small teams. And so, yes, you can still split your software development teams into very small teams and they can all build their own things individually. Um, but you have to have layers on top of that that pull all that together. And those layers, um, whether you like it or not, do start becoming more bureaucratic. Yes. Um, so it's it's you know it's been an interesting space, and and I don't think you know there's there's a lot of teams now starting to move away from agile for that reason. And there's some. I'm seeing you know, a lot of that. That's moment. right. And 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 so how does you know how do these big organisations deal with it? And you know we're now seeing uh, you know a lot of companies starting to become sort of product led, um, where instead of sort of trying to <laughs> Instead of trying to scale agile upwards, they're sort of trying to make the the organizational strategically at the top more agile focused um, as a way as an antidote to that that scaling problem. Um, so, look, I, I don't know what will end up winning, and there's always going to be iterations. But uh, I think it's a really interesting space at the moment where uh, you know for agile. It's funny. So I, I work with large organizations who have, I think, without naming organizations, some of them have been really successful at rolling out agile at scale. But they've also, as you suggested there, when they've reached a certain point, I think they've had to go a little bit more of a kind of pragmatic approach whereby they've taken flavors of agile. They've had to develop some of their own kind of methodologies as well. And it's a bit of a kind of blended sort of environment. Um, and I think that's it maybe is due to what you suggested there, whereby once you get to a certain point and the, there's a certain amount of bureaucracy, then it, it makes it very difficult to maintain those core agile principles. But that that yeah. that is working for those organisations as well. I should add. Yeah, look, and and the beauty about agile and, and something I've always liked about it is that you know you do have to adapt agile to your organisation. Mm. And so I, you know I think the onus on on any agile team is you know they they do have to see what's working and experiment a little bit with the team structure and the ways of working, and ultimately you have to find out what works for the organisation. But not only that, as the organisation grows. And changes over time, you know, particularly in the tech industry, companies can change direction very quickly. Um, strategies can change dramatically, and so I, I think the onus is on the agile teams to to look at their structure and, and always, you know, every quarter, every six months, you, you have to look back and go, is you know, is the structure still appropriate? Do we have to change our ways of working? Are, are we producing the best outcomes for what the business wants? Yes. And so, you guys at Banks, are you? Are you leaning more towards being kind of product-led or are you, are you working in an agile way? What's the, the setup there? Yeah, look, it's been a journey, I would say, uh, and it's a continuing journey. So, yes, we are trying to become more product-led. Um, I remember when I first started uh, the agile systems. I mean, there was it was called agile, but it wasn't really. Um, so we we spent a bit of time trying to implement, uh, implement more formal uh, you know, agile sprints. 
uh, and set up the ceremonies and and just try and do things a bit more more properly. Um, and you know, over time, that's evolved. And uh, you know, obviously, there's been an education piece throughout the organisation and with the leadership teams in terms of how product strategy is developed in the organisation. Um, so yes, it's been a journey, and and I think that's not something that's unique to Banksa. Um, that's probably most organisations that implement agile. There, there's always that education piece throughout the business, um, trying to understand the value of having, ad, having Agile and, and when being product-led and creating product strategies through that process. Uh, it's Again, it's not something that, um, you know, for people that worked in management maybe in the 90s or even the early 2000s, it's not something that's always intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's something that um, as a product team, you have to work really closely with senior leadership to develop this this core mantra in the organization for becoming product-led. Um, and it's always an ongoing piece. And, and, and I think it's just something that there isn't a silver bullet for any of it. You just have to keep working on it. And Absolutely, you always have to yeah. iterate, which is, uh, which is again, that's what Agile is. It's about iterating. It's about reviewing what you've done. Does it work? Does it not work? Um, and just iterate and keep improving. That's right. It's almost like you have to find like a kind of continuous transformation state whereby it's just the mindset and the ethos to always be adapting. Yeah, well said. That That's exactly right. Cool. Sorry, I took you a little bit off piece there with the Agile thing, albeit I find that very interesting. I don't know. Mitch, did you have any other questions you wanted to ask specifically around the, the tech side of things? Yeah, I guess um, maybe it's the kind of final question. It's a broad one too. You know, where do you see... I know there's a lot of uncertainty, but where do you see the future of Web3 and perhaps blockchain technology? Yeah, so look, I, I might focus a bit on the, the blockchain technology as something I've um, been doing a lot of thinking about. Yep. I, I'm, I think that you know, blockchain technology, there's obviously been a massive, uh, I, w- I would say an investment bubble around crypto and blockchain in general over the last few years. I do think we need to be honest and recognize that not all those innovations um, are actually better than the existing technology we've got. Not everything is going to work out. Um, I'm sure there will be a consolidation uh, in blockchain technology and there will be use cases, um, positive use cases for blockchains that will persist into the future. Um, I don't doubt it. Um, but we do have to be honest that I don't think everything's going to work. And, and I think that's normal when it comes to new industries to have all these things going in different directions. And then, you know, it's kind of the spaghetti thing where you sort of see what sticks. For me personally, I the thing I've got the biggest passion for is uh, using blockchain technology in the payment space, um, particularly for, for cross-border payments. Um, I do think there's some really interesting use cases there where blockchains can really provide a better solution for what's out there at the moment so if you know if you were to take an example if you're if you're working in a business where you're taking credit card payments from your customers or whatever and then you need to be settled from that payment provider these settlements can take you know two to three business days for that money that the customers have paid you to actually hit your bank account now if you think about the running of a business, what that means is because there's a two two day delay in that money in your bank account, you need to front up the working capital in the meantime until that money is sold to you. Now that's a huge market inefficiency. Now, what blockchain provides is a technology to do cross border payments and to do settlement payment uh, settlement payments. Um, it can do it instantly, and it can do it cross border, and um, it can just reduce a lot of that friction. Now that takes out a huge market inefficiency. If you can get settled 
within the same day as what you um, what your customers paid you, you've now got all that working capital that you would have had to have held for that intraday settlement period um, that you now no longer need. You can now use that capital to invest in another place in the business. So what that does is it frees up all that capital that all these businesses all over the world are holding just to just to for that settlement time period just to hold the working capital all that money can now be invested into something that's you know actually useful in creating gdp for economies um so that's one example where i think that just blockchain can just relieve a huge market inefficiency and um you know it's a really exciting space um for me personally um something i'd like to continue working in um and that's a space where i see that there's going to be just more innovation and blockchain will have a persisting use case uh, in the global world. Okay, fantastic. Look, thanks so much for that. Uh, maybe just one final question. Uh, any tips for maybe people getting into product, but especially people getting into product that want to be working on blockchain technology? Look, it's a it's an interesting space and it's very exciting. So um, I think that's really the one of the one of the advantages of working in the blockchain space in product management is that you sort of get out of bed and you're not exactly sure what you're going to work on that day or what's going to happen. Um, and for me, that's extremely exciting. You know, it can be confronting as well, um, but it's a really exciting space to work in. It's a very interesting space. There's an endless amount of things you can get stuck into. So it's, it's extremely exciting. Um, the downside of that, of course, is the unpredictability and the variability. And so, um, my best advice would be that you you have to sort of try and um, just trust your business instincts. Sometimes you invariably, you know, product management is all around trying to make the right decisions for what to build, right? And so, you know, you try you try your best to gain as much evidence from uh, your internal data, external data, stakeholders to try and make the right decisions. But the reality in blockchain is is that a lot of this data just doesn't exist. It's it's too new. Um, there's too many directions you can go into. And so uh, more so, I think, than most other industries, um, you just have to make gut instinct calls. And uh, I think uh, in, in the blockchain industry specifically, um, you just have to you just have to trust yourself and go for it. And something that you have to work with your organization that you work for, something that I think you have to work on is creating a culture where you can make these bets and it is accepted that some of the bets don't come off and that's normal. Uh, that's something that's super important in the blockchain and crypto industry because you will make bets, some of them will fail and there has to be a culture that that's accepted. Um, so that, that will be, uh, I guess, what my, my advice for doing product management in this space. Okay, fantastic. Well, look, brilliant. thanks so much for that. That was brilliant. Awesome. Thank you, Jess. All right.